and I was 28 at the time and I took an internship and it was very sobering and humbling being an intern at that age. But looking back, it was the best decision I could have made because it opened so many doors for me. I've spent the last 10 years honing my skills as a designer and building on my experience to grow my career. Looking back on my journey, it got me thinking, what does it take to be a creative professional? How do you build an effective creative business or grow a successful career? I'm on an infinite quest to learn and apply something new every day. So join me as we dive into the stories and strategies of the most talented creators working today. My name is Anthony Spano, and this is Stay Creating. Let's do it. Let's so do it. I am sitting here with creative director Denise Blanco. How's it going? Good. Things are going really well. Awesome. Denise and I have worked together for a little while now, although in silos, we haven't really crossed paths that much. I'm interested to hear a little bit more about your story because I really don't know too much. So let's go back all the way to when you were a kid. Like, how were you, were you always like creative? Were you taking your, were you getting your creativity out to the world in some form? Yeah, so I mean, I think with most kids, they are really interested in coloring and being creative. I'd like to think that part of what really drew me to this as a field of focus was my dad, because he was a painter and an artist. He used to create my birthday cards. He would do it on watercolors, and he wouldn't buy anything. I think one time he, my gift for my birthday was a soap that he had carved some like intricate something or other on. And so I um, was exposed at an early age to that type of creativity. Um, And then when I was in high school, there's always that, like, what am I going to do when I grow up? Which is a terrible question to pose (laughs) to a 16-year-old because you don't know. And so I gave it some thought and I was like, well, it seems like it would be pretty cool to do something that I'm passionate about as opposed to taking on a career that is more mind-numbing. At least at 16 16 years old, I was like, well, I'm not going to be an accountant. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) It seemed boring or something at that time. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, And so I definitely decided, made a conscious decision to try to um, get a degree in something that I could be passionate about uh, yeah. long term. Mm, okay. So it's funny, like, you know, because I, so I have two daughters and you have kids as well, correct? Yes, one so, boy. Yeah. So I, when you say that your dad would make you like these cards and watercolors and things and, and kind of carve these soaps, I always think, you know, they take in so much, right? They're sponges. And so what they see you do, they kind of think that's the norm, right? They, they grew up thinking that's the default. So I'm wondering if that kind of like seeped into you maybe, you know, growing up, it's like, oh, we don't necessarily go to the store to buy cards. If we do something, we want to make it right by hand or yeah. it means a little bit more. Yeah. I, I'm also a very sentimental person. And so I'm always like, well, what's that gift yeah. that will be very thoughtful and very sent- uh, sentimental? I'm also incredibly busy, so I'm not going to pretend that I <laughs> create birthday cards for anyone for any occasion. Custom, custom watercolors, no. No. But it's definitely something that I think about. Like, how do you make a gift more than a gift and make it thoughtful? Yeah. And I do think that it stems from that yeah, at yeah. an early age. Um, those thoughtful touches. Right. So you so you mentioned when you were 16, you started thinking like career, right? I mean, that's when the conversation starts 
for high school, you have no idea, hey, plan out the rest of your life. You <laughs> <Yeah>. know, <laughs> Accounting seems boring and all these other things. I mean, I remember in high school, I was like, those things intimidated me. I'm not going to be a doctor. Yeah. I'm not going to be, you know, an architect. I mean, in my mind, I didn't see myself in those things. I struggled as well, like thinking of what to be, you know. I found myself always behind a computer, specifically behind like Photoshop and things like that. And so that came naturally to me. Although I didn't know necessarily that I could have a career out of it, you know. Yeah. The idea of an artist at that time was not so great professionally. You yeah. Know? So you started thinking, though, it might be a creative you know, direction for you. Yeah, I definitely didn't have any illusions of graduating from college and being a fine artist or a painter. I knew that I I, I couldn't personally handle the stress yeah. or the uh, like in my mind, like, well, I would have to be Picasso or nothing. Like yeah. it's all or nothing for me. And so I knew that that wasn't the direction I wanted to take. Um, but I did see uh, the digital sphere as something that was very interesting to me. And I wanted to learn more about Photoshop, learn more about Illustrator, learn more about web design. And it's very interesting because there's so many different facets of that field. Mm -hmm. So you could be a web designer, you could be a web developer, and they are all very niche and require so many different skill sets which I think I started to realize as I was earning my degree and like taking on internships. So where did you go to school? I went to New Jersey City University in Jersey City. Okay. And then you majored in design? Uh, you were in a design program? I have a Bachelor of Fine Arts in Graphic Design. I for I had this illusion that, oh, I, I it's Bachelor of Fine Arts. I'm going to graduate and everyone is going to be like, she's so much um, <laughs> better than everyone else that got a Bachelor of Arts. It really didn't make a whole lot of difference. It yeah. was like one more year of college that cost me that much more. <laughs> um, so just yeah. a lesson there. But I will say that when I graduated, I definitely had a firmer grasp on what my aesthetic was and what okay. color theory was. And um, the nuances, I think, that I wouldn't have had had I just graduated with a Bachelor of Arts versus a Bachelor of Fine Arts. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So I did the same. I graduated with the same degree. I did come out of school with a lot of knowledge, for sure. I felt like a lot of it, though, it, the school that I went to was bunched up into sort of surface level technical skills. So the photoshops and illustrators and things like that using the tools, which is super, super helpful. You know, beyond that, looking at it more holistically and taking those skills and turning it into a career wasn't so much a focus at my school. So that's yeah. something that I struggled with for a long time afterwards. And even towards the end, there was kind of like a portfolio class where they would prepare you, quote unquote, for a, your, yeah. your first job, you know. And I remember this like intense you know, talk about, uh, you know, possibly like annual reports and you could do something like an annual report for a company. And it was all so vague, you know, and it was it was really hard for me to wrap my head around what this the makeup of this job would even be, because the way they made it sound was super vague, you know. Yeah. So that was something that, that I struggled with. But it was really it's good to hear that you came out with this knowledge that you felt like you could just apply immediately. So what was your first gig after school? So I wouldn't say that I was ne necessarily ready because okay. there's definitely a difference between what you're ready to do as a college graduate and what you're ready to do once you have even a year 
of professional experience. What was really eye-opening for me, at least at the time when I graduated, is that once you get hired into your first job, that becomes your niche. Mm -hmm. And so when I graduated, I thought, oh, I have a Bachelor of Fine Arts and it's in graphic design and I'm going to, like, the world is my oyster. Yeah. And what I realized is that I got a job as an intern at McGraw-Hill, which is a book publishing company, and they hired me on full time. And I thought, well, I am the luckiest person on the planet. I graduated. I have this full time job and I'm doing design work. And what I realized very quickly is that that became my niche. I couldn't then take that and just go out and get a different job in design. A lot of my contacts were built in the uh, publishing industry. A lot of my portfolio pieces were in publishing. And so that was like cold water to the face for me. Yeah. Because that was not the impression that I had when I graduated, that I would just be able to do whatever I wanted. Right. And so what ended up happening is that I worked at this company for three years. It was fantastic. I learned a lot. Mm -hmm. But I also realized that book publishing wasn't where I wanted to be. Right. I wanted to be in something that was a little bit more dynamic, a little bit more fast paced. And I saw that as something in web or something in the digital sphere. And it what ended up happening is that I took on a job as freelancer for three years hmm. while I applied for a lot of different roles. Yeah. And so working somewhere for three years, right, and building up that portfolio, like you said, it, it, it kind of pigeonholes you into this, you know, thing, into this niche. And when you're looking to branch out from there, it's really difficult to get, say, a web job when you have zero web work in your portfolio, yep. you know, and they want to see that up front. And I think this goes for any kind of niche that you've been in. And to pivot, I'm sure, is like a huge, huge mountain to climb up, yep. especially when you're starting your career three years in, which is a pretty good experience at that point, you know, and you're learning a, a ton of on-the-job skills. But when you're looking to, to pivot, it's really difficult. So now I'm sure that the, the freelance, the years of freelance gave you a lot of freedom and a lot of range into all of those different things. Yeah. So I started experiment, experimenting with a lot of different things. And what I still found, even doing freelancing, is that it all really tied back to publishing. Mm -hmm. And so even some of the freelance gigs, I did that for an additional three years doing freelancing. Um, and it was a lot of it tied back to InDesign or layouting. So I would work at a medical company doing some of their like one cheaters and stuff like that. Um, but I wasn't getting any traction in digital. Mm. And so what I ended up doing is taking on an internship at a company called Buddy Media. It was a very small company at the time. It was very startup-y. They had a very, very small office. I think they had 60 employees at the time. And they were like, listen, we like you, but you also have zero experience in the digital sphere. It was a social media company that worked with Facebook. And they are like, we're taking a chance on you. Yeah. And so you can come in. And I was 28 at the time. And I took an internship. And it was very sobering and humbling being an intern at that age. But looking back, it was the best decision I could have made because it opened so many doors for me. There is no harm in starting over in hindsight, right? Yeah. Because when you're doing it, it's scary as hell. Yeah. I, I have a friend of mine who I actually just had on here and he is in radio. He did the same thing or he was in, uh, in news and he did the same thing. He interned at 28 
at a radio station at Sirius XM, which is great because it's like the biggest, you know, possible satellite, you know, uh, thing for radio. But that's a scary proposition at 28 to start over, especially if you have some things established, you know, yeah. and you have dependencies and whatnot, you know. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah. All right. So so how did that go? So I did that for about two months, and obviously interns don't get paid very well, so I was also working in retail, which also was incredibly humbling. Like, holy shit. Yeah. I have uh, <laughs> I have a degree, and I'm working in retail and interning. Like, where have I gone wrong with my life? <laughs> um, but thankfully, after two months, I um, spoke to my manager at the time, and we agreed that it, it was time to take on a full-time role at the company, and I was hired full-time. I was able to quit that retail job, and I worked. I don't know why this happens in threes, but I worked at that company for three, three years, years. <laughs> um, and it was great. I learned a lot. Yeah. And I think it's also really beneficial to be at a company that starts with 60 employees, very startup-y, and it grew so quickly. And when they- you were part of that. Exactly. It was really, really exciting. They went from 60 employees when I joined to, I think it was like about 350 employees when they were acquired by Salesforce, which is a huge company. And so it gave me so much perspective and so much experience. I learned a lot about what it's like to work at a startup. I worked a lot about the importance of scaling and figuring out how to do work that is efficient. How do you um, transition even just like employees, like what is it like for them yeah. when they're with a company that's so small and grows it so quickly? And I learned so much that I've been able to apply at Critio from working at that company for three years. I look up to the founders even to this day because I really just took so much away from that experience and I was only there for three years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can grow tremendously in three years. You can grow tremendously in a year, you know? And so being a part of that, like really fast paced startup world is incredible. I want to, I want to take a step back and ask a little bit about your freelance time and the three years you spent there. <laughs> but uh, I'm interested to know, like at that time, even with starting with uh, a portfolio that was kind of structured in a silo, how did you go about getting freelance jobs? Because that's an aspect of your career trajectory that was a little bit different, right? I mean, we all, I mean, I don't want to say we all, I'll speak for myself. We always try to, especially in the beginning, establish yourself a little bit in the freelance world, right? Mm -hmm. You want to be able to kind of do little side things here and there, if you can, to make some extra money or whatnot. Yep. Was there ever a thought that you would do freelance full-time? It wasn't an end goal for me. Okay. So you do get paid, quote-unquote, more when you're freelancing generally, but you also have to keep in mind that you need to be squirreling away money because mm -hmm. you don't know when that next opportunity is gonna come. Totally. You also don't get any benefits like 401k and health insurance, health insurance and all of that, mm -hmm. like really important stuff when you're adulting yeah, that course. you uh, start to think about. So for me, it was never a long-term solution. It was more, let me do something that gives me flexibility with my hours so that I can continue to apply at other companies and yeah. try to get my foot in the door in digital um, while I'm still getting a paycheck. That's great. So you had that in mind, like, I want to grow my portfolio. I want to grow my experience beyond this one style that I've been in so that I can get that next opportunity in digital. You had that in mind. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I will say the probably the most important thing when anybody who's looking to freelance needs to know is building that network. 
So you do a really good job for one person. They refer you to another person who refers you to another person. And sometimes it was feast or famines. Like sometimes I had to turn down work because I just had too much, too many opportunities coming my way. And then other times I was like, oh, God, where is this next opportunity coming? Yeah. I don't have the next project lined up. Um, which was part of the reason that for me it wasn't a long-term viable solution. I can't stand that kind of stress. Yeah, you don't like the uncertainty of where that exactly. next piece is coming. Yeah. yeah. All right, so you got back on track. You got so you you had a career in your mind. That's what you wanted. Yeah. That was the track. You brought up an, another point with the startup job that you had, and that was to create scalable functional design. Now, this is something that when I was coming up. And for a long time, actually, until maybe a few years ago, the functionality of these pieces uh, or of your work wasn't necessarily the focal point, right? It was work that looks good. Yeah. And so when you're putting it into your portfolio, you want something that looks nice. And that's why they want to see, you know, I mean, when I when I first came up, I had a printed portfolio and I had an awesome one. Uh, not necessarily the work, but I'm talking about the actual piece itself. It was yeah. a beautiful looking piece. <laughs> uh, but no, the work was good, too. But then you start realizing that the way you can actually bring value to a company is to make scalable functional work. Yeah. And so I just want to get your your thoughts on that and that that transition because it was a tough one for me for a little while. Yeah. I've <laughs> I definitely have opinions yeah. <laughs> uh, when it comes to scalability and doing things the right way. So I did have a job, and I won't name the company because it's probably the job that I've hated the most out of any job I've had in my career, but I worked there for six months. It was a freelance uh, gig that I had, and one of one of their designers that I was working with was in charge of social media, and they did all of the digital work in InDesign. Okay. Now, one of my pet peeves is using the wrong program for the end result you're looking for. InDesign is for layouts. Right. It is not built for digital. And I was just like, this is madness <laughs> because Photoshop, you can do a line to pixel right, and right. not have to do this maddening right. work. And so I it, even at that time, I was like, I, I can't do this job long term. I'm going to kill this person because it's the most backwards way of doing things. And so I've always inherently tried to be most efficient. Like in Photoshop, I loved figuring out those hacks and like trying to be as up to date as possible. And like, how can I use smart objects? So make it so that as I'm building this project, I only have to replace an image once right. in my smart objects, as opposed to like going layer by layer that are rasterized and replacing it. So yeah. I've always been about scalability and organizing. Like one of my nightmares is just opening up a Photoshop file that is incredibly unorganized and has a bunch of like, hidden layers and like name your layers <laughs> oh my god please name your layers put them in folders color coordinate them like it's it gives me anxiety yeah. to open something like that and so it just inherently in me that's how i work that's how i function and then working at that uh, startup company it really really benefited me because i could execute on projects really quickly because all of my stuff was really organized. And yeah. so I see the value in taking a little bit longer at the beginning to 
build a project versus executing very, very quickly. And then you have to make changes and it takes you three hours longer. Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, I, listen, I grew up, you know, working outside with my dad using my hands a lot, you know, and one of the sort of age old sayings is measure twice, cut once, you yeah. know, and it, and it really applies to that scalability because you want to make sure it's right. You want to create this foundation that you can build off of, make sure that's right. And then the rest should flow the right way. You yeah. Know, if you build it the right way. Yeah. And, you know, there's no harm in obviously improving along the way, you know, you want to, but to have sort of sloppy work or, or sloppy processes up front, it's really frustrating. Yeah, yeah. And it slows down the entire team. It's not you as a designer that's going to be impacted. It impacts the entire efficiency of the team. Yeah, definitely. So have you kept up with all of the software changes? I mean, you're mentioning the Photoshops and Illustrators and InDesigns. Adobe kind of had a stranglehold on the entire world for a very long time. And are you seeing newcomers come in? the sketches, the figmas, the envisions of the world. How are you feeling about those? Are you trying to keep up as much as you can or how, how, what's your outlook? So when I, I'm going to age myself, uh, when I first started uh, in this in the industry, Corel Draw was okay. still a yeah. thing. Yeah. And so, <laughs> so it, that's where I started was Corel Draw. And it, I definitely kept up for it for a very long time. Yeah. I will say now my life is more Excel and pivot tables than it is Photoshop, yeah. which makes me a little sad because I, I really prided myself in knowing the ins and outs and knowing like these little quirky things like batch or <laughs> like find and replace in Photoshop. Like I yeah. loved knowing these yeah. things and that's not really my life anymore. Yeah. Um, we made it our goal to learn those in and out, you know, and yeah. because we become super efficient in these programs, we're using it every day. And then you start realizing, oh, Excel's my life now. Yeah, yeah. And that's actually one of the biggest things. I've, I've talked to a lot of people that ask me for advice as they transition from individual contributor to manager. And I, specifically for designers that are transitioning, I think that that's part of probably the hardest thing is as you're transitioning from an individual contributor to a manager, oftentimes you're letting go of that creative aspect of your job and trading it in for something that's a little bit more functional and probably closer to that accountant job that I said I would never have. Yeah. But it it is fulfilling in a lot of different ways. And I still keep up with the creative stuff. Like I design all of the invitations for my son's birthdays or right. I'm always looking for opportunities to help out in my friend's weddings. And they're like, are you sure you have time? I'm like, yes, please <laughs> let me design the let menu me this, yeah. <laughs> um, because you need that creative outlet. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to ask you about. I mean, you have transitioned into a leadership role now. You were a designer, a creative, you know, all your life, all your career. And then you have to transition and kind of give those things up. So has it are you able to to you know let it out in some way so okay so you're doing like invitations and stuff like yeah. that do you have any are there any hobbies that you're you're taking up right now that allow you to do that as well um not so much right now i um a friend of mine invited me to clay making class and that was so therapeutic you just sit there and mold clay for yeah. like i think it was a three-hour class and that was just like oh my god i want to do this all the time it's hard to find a balance between having your job, having a kid, and then also like being a wife and like all of the different roles that you need to play in your life. 
Um, so I'm definitely conscious of the fact that the creative uh, expression and all of that takes a backseat. Yeah. But I do oftentimes find a way to try to make that like add that uh, layer back into my life and uh, especially when I'm feeling especially stressed out I'm either going to clean or I'm going to do something creative because those are my two outlets absolutely I mean that's good it's a juggling act right I mean those are so many things to juggle Uh, I will leave work and I will be making an espresso at the machine in the kitchen and you know people come up to me and look at me like I'm crazy and I'm like well you don't understand I have a whole other day ahead of me when I go home you know so it's definitely super fulfilling you know and I'm actually seeing some of the creativity even come out in my girls you know and and applying that there and letting them just do their thing, which I see it coming out in them. So I'm trying to, uh, you know, I'm trying to encourage that in them, you know, to just kind of do their thing. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the leadership role that you have taken on. So you did transition that way. And so now let me know the size of your team. You were managing designers. Essentially, the easiest way to look at it is I have three different teams. One of them is the creative services team. I also have an ad ops team in Miami. And then I have a team in Palo Alto that's focused more on app. Okay. Okay. And so how do you juggle those things? I mean, uh, shifting focus, it's, uh, it is a different focus for each one, right? Yeah. So how do you manage that? I mean, you're using <laughs> Excel to a, a high degree. Yeah, yeah, definitely Excel was not my friend. Mm. Uh, Pivot Tables, like, shout out to Steph Martone, who is a very good friend of mine, but she is so patient and really walked me through several times how to use Excel, and I would ask her the same question over and over again. Um, I'd like to think I can hold my own uh, now on Excel. I'm not, I'm sure that a lot of people would disagree, but a lot of it now is strategy, So really having an understanding of the business, where we want to be, not just now, but six months from now, a year from now. And for me personally, when you're a manager, your number one priority shouldn't be you. It shouldn't be the business. It should be the people that you're managing. Because ultimately, if you have an unhappy team that's unhappy with you, that impacts the business directly. And so that's the type of manager I am is that my my team and the people in it are my number one priority. And then everything is secondary to that. Yeah. I mean, you're cultivating relationships. You're cultivating like the human aspect of your team, right? Because if they're not, if you're not letting them grow, then you're taking steps backwards, you know, doing anything positive for the team overall. Yeah, exactly. In turn, the business. Yeah. And you also, you learn so much. I've had managers that are not so great, and I actually value those relationships just as, and those experiences just as much as managers where I learned a lot from them because the managers that weren't so great, you learn a lot about yourself and what you want to do differently and how you want people to experience you differently. Right. And so I, I oftentimes think back of like, well, when I was in this position as someone else on my team, how did that impact me and how? How would I want? How would I have wanted my manager uh, to handle that situation? And so I, I'm, I really try to put myself in people's shoes and try to think back to well, when I was 25, what was it that I was looking for versus when I was 30 or or, or whatever the case may be? And so I really do try to put myself in the shoes of the people on my team and really also 
thinking about the different personality types, that was one of the biggest things that was eye-opening for me. Of your team. Uh, well, yeah. So just individuals, regardless is if it's people that report into you mm-hmm. or people that you interact with on a daily basis, yeah. you need to adjust your style to the person that you're speaking to and who your audience is, regardless of it's somebody that reports to you or not. Um, because you want to be conscious of how the feedback and the things that you're saying are going to be um, analyzed and how they're going to be received. Yeah, it's true. I mean, you, you do have to do that because there are, I mean, we work in a corporate, you know, semi-corporate world here, and you're going to f- see those different personality types. You know, there are some people that are a little bit more dominant, enthusiastic, or a little bit out, more outgoing, right? And so yeah. you approach those differently. And I'm curious, like, how do you give like feedback or how do you accept feedback from your team? Do you keep that open as far as the way that you manage? Do you try to get that feedback from them on a constant loop to see how can I improve it? Was there something that I did or, you know, do they feel yeah. comfortable enough to speak to you that way? I honestly hope so. I, I do try to keep that open door policy. I meet with my managers. I meet with the people that report into my managers. And I'm constantly saying like, hey, you don't have to wait for these meetings. Um, the ones that are with my managers direct reports happen every four to five weeks so not that often and I always and try to end the meetings with hey you don't have to wait for this meeting if you have feedback please reach out to me and I will find the time to figure that out with you I'd like to think that it's a very much an open door policy with everyone yeah I learned a lot actually from an employee one time where I was giving her feedback and she said you know you're giving me all this feedback but you didn't ask me why why did I do this thing that you're giving me feedback on? And I was like, wow, you're right. Mm-hmm. Why? Can, explain it to me. Walk me through your thought process. And that really stuck with me. And it definitely is something that I try to think about yeah. um, whenever I'm discussing anything with anyone. Because, again, you everyone is different. Everyone thinks and experiences things differently. And so you want to have an understanding of the thought process of that person before you make a judgment call on whether or not what they did was correct or not. Yeah. It gives you context into where they were when they were making that decision. At least you can give better feedback, right? More contextual feedback in that way. Um, Awesome. So you went for a traditional education, right? You got that coming out. I mean, you had a pretty traditional path in high school, college, internship, and then career, freelance career. And so you find yourself in a leadership role now. You've been in the workplace for quite a while. What do you see as the future of your career looking at it right now? Maybe three years down the line, five years and 10 years. Oh, my God. I hope my boss is listening. He and I uh, <laughs> talk about this all the time. I honestly, I I really like the creative field, but I also have really enjoyed expanding beyond just creative. And really, what for me, one of the things I'm really passionate about is growing people. Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily encompassed just by creative. I really enjoy talking with people that are new with their career, people who are very seasoned and really trying to help them and guide them through everything that I've experienced and trying to let them benefit from everything that I've learned. 
again, scalability is really big for me. One of the most exciting things for me when I started working at Critio was the opportunity to build a team, to build process. Like there was nothing in place. There wasn't even a unified structure for saving files. Right. And so that for me was really exciting, building that process and like figuring everything out. And so any opportunity I have where I can flex those muscles, I'm really enthusiastic about. But I'm, I, I mean, I'm open to lots of different opportunities as long as I'm being challenged. Yeah. I don't want to start to feel like I'm stagnating. I don't want to feel like um, my ideas are stale because I haven't done enough things that are different or challenging. And so I'm always looking for that new opportunity or that new experience. And a lot of that, honestly, is building connections. Yeah. Stagnating in my career is something that I have have zero tolerance for, you know, so it's something that I'm always trying to do is improve and grow as a person and as a professional, you know, and when I first came onto Critio, one of the things was like, you know, there, there was budget for professional growth. And so some of the questions early on was like, do you, would you like to like maybe learn a new program or something like that? Because I came on as a designer originally. And I was like, no, I want to take this course on, you know, learning this new skill. It wasn't about a program or anything like that. And so, uh, yeah, always just trying to learn, trying yeah. to improve. Uh, it's a super important thing. If you had to give some advice to somebody starting out in their career, what would you say to them right now? And then, um, you know, maybe somebody trying to like up level their career, just like a piece of advice for, for them. For somebody starting their career, I'd say be very conscious of that first job you take because you could get pigeonholed and end up in that very long, drawn out process that I was in. Try to find mentors. And I, I think it's a little awkward when you're like, hey, will you be my mentor? But those relationships end up happening organically. You talk to people, you're friendly, you build relationships, and that stuff happens organically. So definitely find someone that you click with, somebody that you look up to that is more senior, and try to build those relationships with them because they become a bit of a resource to you, regardless of how you move out in your career and where you end up, you're going to want somebody that you can bounce ideas off of and who can be a resource for you to just give you a gut check where you're maybe thinking about a new career move or like trying to figure out something to do on, on a project. You, you want somebody that you can bounce your ideas off of, especially in creative where it, things don't happen within a vacuum. It's so true. And like and and just, you know, being sort of self-conscious about the work that you're putting out there, because not everybody is super confident about that work, you know. And so sometimes you need to bounce something off of somebody and get some brutal feedback if it's necessary, you know. And on that mentoring thing, it's always worth asking, you know. So even if it's not sort of happening organically, try to let it happen a little bit more organically. And then if it, you know, I mean, there's no harm in asking. Oh, definitely not. I've had people ask and I'm just like, yes, I'm flattered. I hope that you'll learn something from me. Um, But yeah, definitely there's a couple of people that have uh, outright asked and I'm like, yeah, definitely. Let's set up some time. Let's talk. And then for people that are already in their career and are looking to try to figure out what to do next, I think a really important thing to figure out is, do you want to be an individual contributor or do you want to be a manager? It's a really, really important thing. And it's a very personal choice. If I, my, my, my really big asterisk on this is that if you decide you want to be a manager, 
Don't do it because you're chasing some sort of expectations of a grand title or a really big salary because you will be sadly disappointed by the reality of that role because there is a lot of people management that comes with being a manager. There's a lot of personality management that comes with being a manager. And if you're not in it for that, if you're not in it for the people and you take on a role as a manager because of selfish reasons that are about you and not about a team, your job is going to be very, very unfulfilling. It's true. And then once you start using that title, like throwing around that title to get things done or yeah, whatever it is, cares. it's like nobody cares. You know, you want it to be based on merit. You want it to be based on a mutual respect. And so, yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. And then the other thing we haven't touched on this, but the other bit of advice I try to give people a lot is don't burn bridges. I've had a lot of people where it's like their last two weeks and they just really just ruin the uh, way that you viewed someone that you might have otherwise valued very highly because they figure, oh, I'm out and I'm check out. Exactly. And that's the lasting impression you have of that person. And it's a very small industry. It's a very small world. I was in Japan and ran into someone that knew someone that I worked with and I was like, what are the odds? Yeah, I'm seriously. in Japan. It's true. Um, and so it's a small world. Don't burn bridges. Treat people with respect. It's common sense, but you'd be surprised. Yeah, yeah. No, that's awesome advice. Well, thank you so much for sitting here. This was really, really great. Uh, I got to learn a little bit more about you, so I'm super yeah. psyched about that. Yeah, this was fun. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. So I hope to have you on uh, at some point in the future. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. And uh, I think that's it. Cool. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Denise. Hey, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode with Denise. We definitely learned a lot from her on this one. If you're looking for growth in your career, continue to learn and hone new skills. When the time is right, you'll have to make the decision of either continuing on that worker path or change gears a bit if you decide to go the manager route. And of course, do not burn bridges. You want to leave behind the best possible memory of your time there. As at the time of this recording, you can find Denise on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash in slash Denise data. You can also check us out on Instagram at Stay Creating. Shoot me a DM. I want to hear from you guys. I feature every guest that I have here on the podcast on the Instagram account so you can get a vibe for who the guests are and the work that they do. And wherever you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, make sure to subscribe and leave a rating and review. I want to hear from my fellow creators out there who every damn day stay creating. Peace. Peace.